information sharing and building a strong community will certainly help build a more prepared and resilient community across the board. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Bob Arnold, the president and executive publisher of the Disaster Recovery Journal, or perhaps better known as DRJ. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great about yourself. Doing well over here. Just uh, starting to get cold. I'm hoping winter is over soon here down in Texas. We prefer our warm weather. (laughs) (laughs) It is is chilly here in the Midwest, uh, here in St. Louis as well. So Excellent. Well, fantastic to have you on the show. I really appreciate you making the time. Our topic today is going to be around the importance of community in the business continuity and disaster recovery world. But before we get to that, just for our listeners who don't know who you are, could you tell them a little bit about your background and um, what your team at DRJ does? Uh, sure. I am, like you said earlier, the president here at Disaster Cover Journal. As also you said, uh, we're better known as simply DRJ. A lot of people outside our space always make fun of it. It's like, oh, what's Dr. J stand for? But it's, <laughs> it is simply Disaster Recovery Journal. So uh, I think one thing most people don't realize about DRJ is how small of an organization we are. We're, uh, we're only nine employees here. And I could probably say we produce some of the best and most current content uh, covering the world of business continuity. Uh, that's through our magazines, events, social media, webinars, podcasts, and much more. Uh, I've personally worked worked on pretty well everything here, here at DRJ, um, all the way back from starting DRJ.com, selling ads, sponsorships, uh, reviewing articles, presentations, things like that. Uh, and over the past 20 years, I've been overseeing the entire operation. But um, as, as a small organization goes, we're always ha- all hands on deck type. And uh, so uh, all the way from the biggest decisions, all the way down to empty the trash cans on Friday. So <laughs> we, we do it. We do it all here. So. Okay, fantastic. Well, I know we first met back in 2002, which was my first DRJ show. So it's been quite some time that dates me a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. I know you've been with the organization longer than that. Could you tell us a little bit more about how DRJ got started? Sure. So uh, I've ba- I've literally grown up in disaster recovery. Uh, while I was still in high school, my father actually, Richard Arnold, uh, started the very first hot site here in, in, in the Midwest, here in St. Louis. Uh, I believe that was around 1985-ish or so. Uh, In 1987, he had decided to start his own magazine uh, certification program, which is now DRI, uh, and and the events covering this emerging market. So uh, everyone thought he was crazy, including (laughs) us, you know, because he could hardly spell his name, more or less produce a you know, a professional journal. Uh, he was a mainframe programmer by trade. He's uh, always been in the the programming world. He, in, even in back in Vietnam, he intercepted uh, Morse code and things like that. So he's worked in, he's always been around that uh, IT disaster recovery or um, more more on the programming side than disaster recovery. So, but but we all we all thought he was crazy starting a publishing magazine. Uh, you know, fast forward thirty plus years, uh, here here we still are. So it's been it's been an interesting ride. 
Oh my gosh, that's great. And what what drove him to do that? Like, what did he see that was missing in, out in the industry and in the world that he said, let's let's put this out there? Well, I think he really kind of identified early on the more and more reliant organizations were becoming on on IT uh, and what happens if something were to happen. And of course, disaster recovery, and it still is, DR is technically the, the technological uh, aspect protection of, of your company's infrastructure and such. So I think he identified that was going to be a huge need going forward. Uh, and, and like I said, started the very first hot site, which failed miserably. I think it went out of business in less, less than a year here. <laughs> that was, it was way before it's time. So, Well, I mean, that's really great because you guys have been building this organization for like 25 plus years now, which is an amazing accomplishment and pretty unique. So something clearly is working. Um, what, as you, as you think about the past 25 years, the past quarter century, what are some of the big changes you've seen in the disaster recovery and business continuity space over that time? DRJ's core business is sharing information uh, with our readers on risks facing their organization, how to better prepare them for those risks. Uh, the channels we certainly use to communicate have certainly changed over the years, especially right now in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, It's the first time in our history we haven't produced our our full-blown print magazine as most people uh, uh they're they're not in the offices to receive it so we've we've put that on hold mm. so that that's the biggest thing that that's changed uh from the drj's perspective uh but more that's changed in the profession is just the transformation just out of the data center uh it started of course the disaster recovery 40 plus years or so ago uh, started only worrying about the mainframes the networks things like that where organizations quickly realized you could have the most resilient data center if if your employees aren't protected and you know one of your key assets of your organization are your employees you know if your data center's wiped out you're you're just a high risk from mm. uh, from that perspective standpoint so yeah that's been the biggest transformation is simply out of the data center. And that's just as critical today, uh, but now it's any organizational risk. So whether it be employees, especially in the midst of the pandemic, um, wildfires, floods, tornadoes, anything like that, cyber is huge. You know, th those mm -hmm. risks have become so much more complex and the protection of the organization is so much more complex. So that's yeah. been the biggest, that's been the biggest change over the years. So it seems like it's just permeating organizations, understanding what are all the risks that we have. And to your point before, it sounds like it started where everything has to start somewhere with the tech and that's disaster recovery. Also included there is business continuity. So in our, just for our listeners in, in our industry, the lingo is DRBC, DR is disaster recovery. And that applies mostly to the IT side. Business continuity is everything else. So it's the stuff Bob was just talking about. So, can, yeah, can you elaborate on that a little bit more about uh, the differences between those two? And, you know, when when organizations think about how do I protect my organization as a whole, how do they split those responsibilities up? And, that, and that's key. I mean, because everything in everything we've seen is the challenges exist in the silos, especially in the large organizations. Business continuity will be its own silo. DR um, group is always is their own IT sort of area that's yeah. their own silo and how do you make those or get some relationships built uh, because from a best practice standpoint it should all sort of report up under like enterprise risk management or organizational resilience or organizational risk management something along those lines with business continuity underlying 
uh, under that umbrella, and then disaster recovery reporting up to business continuity. Everyone can argue where they should align. I think each company is a little unique, but from a best practice standpoint, I think it really needs to funnel up. DR needs to go up to BC, which needs to go up to enterprise risk management type scenario. Mm-hmm. When I think about DRJ specifically, though, um, how are the members of the DRJ community benefited by it? What are some of the examples out there? Sure. I, I believe our greatest contribution to the space is, is sharing success and failure stories with our readers. Uh, failure so- stories uh, may be incredibly hard to share as no one really wants to go on record and say, this is what I messed up at, you know, this is what we failed at. Uh, but lessons learned are the next best thing. It's incredibly, uh, it's incredible out of the many disasters we've covered over the years, uh, how many organizations are willing to recap the response and summary, uh, you know, kind of summarize areas that need improvement. So success stories are also great, uh, as many organizations love to go on record and tout uh, how resilient their organizations are, especially if they've faced a crisis and came out on top. And I know there's a lot of great stories coming out of the pandemic right now, especially the work from home scenarios that we're trying to share with our readers. And I think that's one of the things right now is everybody's like learning in a bubble or living in a bubble. They're all working from home. You know, maybe your kids are homeschooling, things like that. Uh, But everybody's really trying to figure out what everybody else is doing. Are we doing what we need to be doing as an organization standpoint, are we protecting our organization uh, assets, especially our employee safety uh, going forward in this pandemic? So that's that's been the biggest need we've seen right now. And that's what we're trying to cover is the, are those success stories of things that are working well and what orga- other organizations are doing. And that just that sharing in the community that's always been so great and made you know this business continuity space so so wonderful to work in in the past 30 years. So. Yeah, no, I, and that makes sense. I, I think back to my first DRJ, which was in 2002. And if everyone remembers, that was like right around the one year anniversary of 9-11. And I just remember sitting in all those sessions and hearing people sharing, this is what we had to do to survive, literally to keep our, our personally survive, but also our companies up and running. And that's where you learn. I mean, it's just everything in theory sounds great. But when you see this is really something that happened and these are the steps we had to go through, man, I saw people furiously scribbling notes, <laughs> yeah. learning from all those things that people had to go through. Well, I guess that kind of takes us into the second theme of the, the discussion here, which is the, the importance of community when it comes to employee safety. Uh, that's clearly why we started this podcast. And I know it's a big part of your mission at DRJ. So what are some of the benefits of being part of a community when it comes to business continuity and disaster recovery above and beyond what you just mentioned? Well, I think you nailed it right on the head there, because when I think of the basics of business continuity planning, life safety is always in first. It, it has to be your first um, objective uh, of a good business continuity plan. And that's what, you know, and what better way to ensure life safety is um is top priority than than through collaboration and collaboration through our own organization, through your community, through your your profession, and much more. Uh, whether that safety has to do with your industry's particular risks, say manufacturing or healthcare, or your regional risks, say hurricanes, wildfires, earthquakes. Um, you know, information sharing and building a strong community will certainly help build a more prepared and resilient community across the board. So I think that's key is that networking to try and come together and and collaborate with each other and, and again, share those life lessons we've all learned through crisis. And so when it comes to best practices, when you, when you think about community and 
trying to up your game, what are the leaders in the industry doing that other organizations are not? Or, you know, what are people potentially missing out on by not joining the community? What do you recommend? Sure. I, well, I'd say the leading professionals are disciplined, have one thing in common, and that's being, you know, agile and flexible. Mm. Uh, there are certainly industry standards, there's best practices uh, and more, but at the end of the day, it has to do with culture, with the culture of your own organization. Yep. Uh, every organization is going to be different. You have to know not only the planning process, but you have to understand your company from the top to the bottom. Uh, and these leaders in this space uh, are w- very well connected within their organization to top management. Uh, without an executive champion, per se, um, your program will never have the true impact that it, it very well deserves. Uh, and right now in the middle of the pandemic, I'd say, I think every business continuity professional should be able to get the ear of an executive. Mm. Uh, This is really our chance to shine and showcase what we've been doing all these years and why buy-in is so critical at all times and not just in times of crisis or pandemics or whatever it might be facing your organization. So, and that's always been the sort of the the crux is you get a little bit of exposure to top management during a big disaster. And then as soon as that risk kind of subsides, you lose funding and you lose support and things like that. But right now, I think is a critical time uh, for us to gain that executive champion uh, and a seat at the table. Just out of curiosity, like, because I see that all the time, our customers find it too. Like uh, our business, people will suddenly call us when a hurricane's bearing down saying, okay, we got the budget approved for a mass notification. And we're like, but we've been talking for the last 12 months. What, what changed everyone's mind? And they're like, it's the hurricane. So how do you, as a, as a DRBC professional, convince executive management that this is something you need to think about on a rolling 12-month basis, not just when disasters are pending? That's that's a tough thing because, it, again, you, you have to find that executive champion. You've got a, someone that believes in your program and willing to continue to support you after those, those you know, the headline sort of risks subside. It's all about finding that, uh, that executive champion that, that's willing to go to bat and, and stick by your side, even when, when things calm down and you're not as pressing. Yeah, and I would encourage everyone to go to the DRJ website um, to, to view some of this material. It's very useful. Um, coming back to the, the ideas of community. Now, one thing a lot of organizations have trouble with is sharing information about their organization and their challenges with other companies, especially competitors. So when it comes to DRBC, you know, what do you see? You know, do companies feel or do DR DR professionals feel like it's okay to share what they're experiencing with their competition? That is unique to our space. And I'd say most certainly, I think it's, um, I think there's so many serious risks uh, that we all must do what we can to share these risks and threats uh, with everyone we can. And these these threats seem to be coming at us more frequently, more violently, especially in the areas of natural disasters, social unrest, cyber, uh, and of course now the pandemic. Uh, there, there's tons of networking opportunities available even outside DRJ, such as the ISAC groups. Uh, one one in particular that we work with heavily is FS ISAC. Mm. Uh, they're a, they're a nonprofit group dedicated to. Re- reducing cyber risk. Uh, and I believe just the financial sectors, they also have other ISACs and for different sectors like healthcare and such. Right. But n- nearly every major financial institution is a member of that. And they share uh, 
current and new threats across the board. Uh, and it's not just, like I said, it's not just unique to the financial services. There's there's a lot of industries covered, covering that information sharing uh, and just the risks. Because again, if, if Wells Fargo gets hit with XYZ, they know there's probably a chance Bank of America is going to get hit and vice versa. So these information sharing organizations are out there to share those risks among the various groups to ensure they're they're aware of what's coming down the pike. So uh, next up are, you know, the local networking groups uh, in our space. We pretty well throw in any, any acronym out there, ACP, Burma, BERPA, CPAC, <laughs> NEDRIX, uh, even one in our backyard here in St. Louis is the Mid-America Contingency Planning Forum. Sure. Uh, they're, they're invaluable networking opportunities with folks dealing with many of the same regional risks you are. So I would highly recommend mm-hmm. locating that that local group in your area and joining it. And they're very, very affordable. Uh, and most of them have monthly or quarterly meetings. So the great networking opportunities. And again, you, you can share risks and threats that, that might be um, unique to your area. So, Do you find that most organizations are doing this kind of sharing before, during, and after emergencies? Or is it mostly just kind of the after action reports? Actually, a lot of the, especially that have like FSISAC, that'll be emerging threats. I mean, those are the most current things they see coming down, um, you know, that are currently in being rolled out or, you know, being threatening uh, to to their own organization. So those those type of threats are being shared immediately. And one thing that's obviously upended our world is COVID-19. And you addressed this earlier that it's changed how you guys do business. You're not sending out your print publication right now. Uh, and I know you had to, to pivot. You guys have been having your uh, biannual um, on, you know, on-site conference for decades now. And you had to cancel that basically and did it online instead. But how can organizations in general keep up the dialogue and continue to learn from others during the pandemic? This is this is definitely one of the biggest challenges most of us will ever face in our lifetime, or at least I hope it will be. Yeah, uh, it presents <laughs> a ton. It, it presents it presents a ton of challenges, uh, but many stem from being isolated, planning in a bubble, disconnected from reality, your coworkers, and anything else that kind of resembles real life or real work life, especially. Uh, I can honestly admit it's. Um, I've been on way too many Zoom calls in the past six months, <laughs> yeah. but but it, but it truly is our reality. You know, I look forward to the day I can sit down with colleagues over a coffee and have a conversation. But that that goes back um, to the ability to be agile. Uh, we have to be flexible and find new ways to learn and collaborate and keep our organizations prepared for the next pandemic and what's going to come next. There will be something next yeah. uh, after the pandemic that threatens all of our organizations. So I believe many of the opportunities are comprised of live and on-demand webinars, podcasts such as this one, um, you know, virtual events such we just ran, like you'd mentioned, our, our fall event that so we just ran a few weeks back. Uh, LinkedIn and there's there's many other opportunities, but but here are here at DRJ we've also ramped up the frequency of such events, such as some town halls, uh, our own virtual events, and and again our our popular weekly webinars we run, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep that education and, and and folks sharing information with each other. This gives our readers a chance to connect up, um, you know, share their own planning efforts, challenges, and much more. Uh, for example, uh, of the need for great networking, the DRJ v- virtual event, uh, we captured over 11,000 discussion points and, and chat posts wow. over the course of those four days. Just that, that shows the need for networking. And we're going to be rolling out many more opportunities here in the coming weeks uh, that, that'll 
hopefully continue that dialogue, but it, but you could definitely t- tell folks are dying to, to communicate with each other, network yeah. with each other, again, share stories. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's what makes us all more resilient by sharing these stories with each other. So I think if you could look at any silver lining behind COVID-19 is that it happened in 2019, 2020, when we have all these modern technologies, if this happened 25 years ago, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. <laughs> We'd all be shut down in our bubbles. We wouldn't be able to communicate like we can now. So I think the, the key summary of what you said there is embrace all these technologies and keep doing what you were doing before in person, but make it virtual instead. Correct. I definitely yeah. agree. There's a lot of opportunities out there. Do you think some of these changes, like taking things virtual, are going to persist after the pandemic? Or do you think people will drop it and go back to the on, on-prem type stuff? I can only speak to DRJ. And as far as we go, I believe many of our offerings will be virtual for the foreseeable future. There's just so many challenges right now to simply go back the way it was. Uh, you know, I pray for the much of the in-person to come back uh, as you can't replace, you, you'll never be able to replace that personal interaction and networking with friends and colleagues. Uh, but, it, but I believe it's going to be a slow transition back, especially for the safety aspect. No one, you know, I don't, and take all the politics out of it. I mean, the pandemic is here to stay with us. We have to, we have to be able, we have to be resilient in our own lives to sort of deal with what, what's been given to us. And we have to adapt and be agile uh, and be ready for what's coming next. Well, do you think there's any ways that uh, this pandemic overall has, I'm trying to look for silver linings here, has benefited organizations when it comes to getting better at DRBC or just building community around it in general? Well, I think we've all, you know, from a personal aspect, we've all kind of taken individual steps back, realizing I think what's ever important. And most of us simply realize it's people family, friends, coworkers, customers, whoever it might be. Uh, now I realize we've all been way too close to some of our family members the last six months. Uh, but hopefully we, but, but also hopefully we value the time and take time to reflect on what's important in our lives. You know, I think many organizations have also been surprised on how well their organizations have adapted yeah. and how quickly during those, those first few weeks and months. Uh, I think that's been impressive. The work from home scenario has just been phenomenal, I think, for a lot of organizations. So it again goes back to ensuring you and your organization are agile enough to adapt to any of these types of situations while you're still protecting your employees, customers, services, brands, whatever it might be. And uh, these are the stories we're attempting to capture here as folks begin to resurface after this major shutdown. Uh, we'll do our best to capture not only what worked, but worked well, but, but the, also the many lessons learned through these challenging times. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And then being able to share that because uh, the best way to learn sometimes instead of having to go through it yourself is to learn from someone else's misery. Yes. <laughs> so, well, let me close up by asking my final question. We always like to give our audience something they can take away with and then immediately go make an impact in their organization. So in, in your mind, what's something the audience can take action on today to help them improve their employee safety program? I, I always recommend education. You can just continue your education. Take class, take a course, a webinar, anything on business continuity that's going to make you a better asset to the organization. The more knowledge you have in your discipline, and again, about your own organization, will continue to drive our goal of true resiliency, I believe. So now is the time for all business continuity professionals uh, to really step up that education, earn a seat at the table, um, and, and you must be prepared yourself. In, your, in that level of expertise that you provide your organization. So you have to prove to the company your worth. 
So yeah. now I think that time is, it's all about education and it's not just DRJ education. I'm not saying just take a DRJ class or anything. There's tons of education out there in this space that that's incredible. So I would just find anything in your area, uh, online, anything like that, that, to continue that education. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Education and training are just huge for when disaster strikes and nothing ever goes according to plan. At least you're not sitting there like a deer in the headlights. You've been exposed to a certain extent and then you're ready to adapt and address that issue. Well, hey, great conversation. I totally appreciate you taking time to do this with me. Love your perspective on how important community is in the, in the VCDR space. And if anyone listening has follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you? Oh, sure thing. Uh, you could certainly reach me via email. It's probably the easiest email address ever. It's bob at drj.com. <laughs> <laughs> also, our website is drj.com or find me on LinkedIn, or you can give me a shout on the phone anytime. It's 636-282-5800. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is absolutely vital. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.